Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Ship show. Yesterday was the worst day for the Dow Jones of the year. At one point, we were down about 950 odd points. I think we closed down under 800, maybe 760, 770. I forget the exact amount, uh, but it was a follow through from the weakness that we had on Friday or the news too that we had on Friday about the escalation of the trade war where Donald Trump announced the imposition of new tariffs on China. But what happened overnight in China was that the yuan went below seven to one against the dollar. This is the first time it's been that low since uh, China started to allow its currency uh, to appreciate against the dollar, and it had been appreciating. Now, seven is not that much weaker than it was when Donald Trump became president. I mean, the Chinese yuan is only down two to three percent since Trump took office. That's not a whole hell of a lot uh, when it comes to a currency, right? Everybody is, you know, up in arms now. Trump is uh, upset that the Chinese are weakening their currency when the currency has not weakened very much. In fact, the U.S. dollar is down about 2 or 3% against the Swiss franc since Trump became president. So what's the big deal? I mean, Switzerland isn't accusing the United States of manipulating its currency just because the currency dropped a few percent. I mean, these are normal movements in a currency market. But the minute the yuan dropped below 7 to 1, everybody was saying, oh, currency war, and this is who knows how much further the yuan is going to drop. And so that sparked a lot of selling in the Chinese market. And so the U.S. market went down. I think the futures were down maybe about 300 Dow points or so before we opened. But then as soon as we opened, we sold off hard. And we did have a little bit of a rally into the close. So we closed off the lows. But as soon as the U.S. stock market closed, the futures sold off again. I think at one point last night, the Dow was off another four or 500 points before reversing on the Chinese yuan having a fix, I think uh, that was a little bit higher than the markets were uh, worried about. And so that 
caused, I guess, traders to breathe a little sigh of relief that the yuan uh, didn't fall again. And so that sparked a rally. And as I'm recording this, the Dow is up about 250 points. It's been positive all day, although I think it went down to about unch at one point during the day, maybe slightly negative. It gapped up, went down. It isn't that uh, solid a recovery off the lows. And, you know, while the uh, dollar was rising against the yuan, it was sinking against the euro. Uh, Euro had one of its best days uh, of the year yesterday. Uh, The dollar was down against the Swiss franc. I think the Swiss franc was the strongest currency. It was stronger than the yen, which also gained value. But the biggest gainer wasn't a currency at all, but real money, gold. Gold moved to a new six-year high yesterday. It was up over $20. It's up again today. As I'm recording the podcast, we're up about six bucks, around $1,470 an ounce for the price of gold. It continues to go higher. And so, you know, any talk that you hear in the media about the strong dollar uh, simply by measuring it against some currencies and other currencies were falling against the dollar too, not just the yuan, but you don't have a strong dollar when the price of gold is rising the way it is. We have a weak dollar. It's just that we also have a weak yuan and we have uh, a weak euro. We have a weak yen because all these currencies are falling against gold. In fact, many countries, uh, gold is at an all-time record high, right? In Australia, in Canada, these are two of the countries that mine a lot of gold. In those currencies, gold is not just at a six-year high. Gold is at an all-time record high. And it's only a question of time now, and I don't think it's going to be that much time before gold start making an all-time record high in terms of U.S. dollars as well, because we are now in a period of global currency weakness. All currencies are losing value uh, when priced in gold. Now, relative to one another, it's a different story, right? All currencies sink in value. They just sink at different levels. And recently, the dollar has been sinking more slowly than a lot of other currencies, but it's about to pick up the pace. The dollar is going to be sinking faster as the economic reality sets in. Because what really is the problem is not that the Chinese currency is dropping. The problem is going to be that the Chinese currency is eventually going to be rising and it's going to rise a lot. You know, uh, one of the reasons that we had the after hour sell off yesterday was the Trump administration officially labeled China a currency manipulator, right? And Donald Trump was tweeting up a storm because the yuan moved below seven to one to the dollar and accusing the Chinese of uh, manipulating their currency. Well, the Chinese didn't manipulate anything. What the Chinese did is they sat back and they did nothing. They didn't intervene in the currency market to try to prevent the yuan from losing value. So they didn't manipulate it higher. They allowed the market to function, right? A lot of people are betting wrong. They think that the trade war is going to exact a big toll on the Chinese economy. Everybody thinks America wins the trade war and they think all these tariffs are bad for the Chinese economy. And so it makes sense that people who think that the tariffs are going to hurt China, that they would be selling the yuan. I mean, that's what the market is doing. I think that people who are doing that are wrong, but there's nothing wrong with China allowing market forces to push down the value of the currency. I mean, I think it's crazy that we want to label China a currency manipulator for not manipulating their currency. Trump is upset that the Chinese did not intervene. They did not manipulate the yuan higher than the market wanted to set it. 
They're they're not manipulating. You know, I think at one time they were manipulating. I think for years and years the Chinese were keeping their currency artificially low. They're not really doing that anymore, which means that the currency is going to appreciate when market forces start to move it in that direction. But the reason the Chinese built up these massive forex reserves was because for years they did deliberately undervalue their currency, and I think that was a mistake. I think China would be more prosperous today had they not done that. And I think America, you know, we would not have had this free ride on the China gravy trade. You know, now maybe our economy would be in much better shape today had we not been able to rely on that crutch that the Chinese were supplying us with. But very few people realize that we've been, you know, walking on that crutch and the implications of uh, what's going to happen when we lose that crust. In fact, I'm going to talk about that a little bit later in the podcast when I get into Larry Kudlow and some of the ridiculous comments that that uh, that he made today. But my point is that China may have manipulated its currency in the past, but it's not really doing that now. But the other irony of it is you have Donald Trump out there, you know, touting the fact that the Chinese are paying the tariffs, that American consumers aren't paying the tariffs, because the Chinese are just weakening their currency to absorb the tariffs. The Chinese currency, as I said, is down 2 to 3% since Trump became president. Their tariffs are 25%. The yuan is going to have to fall a lot more in order for the effects of the tariffs to be offset in the exchange rate. And if Donald Trump does not want Americans to pay the tariffs, if he wants the Chinese to pay the tariffs, then why is he upset if they devalue their currency, because the only way that China pays the tariffs is if their currency goes down. That's 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 the mechanism for shifting the cost of the tariffs from Americans to the Chinese. The only way to do that is through currency depreciation. The yuan has to lose value to offset the tariffs. So Trump, again, can't have it both ways. If he, if he doesn't want Americans to pay the tariffs, then he has to want the Chinese to devalue their currency. Right? But if he doesn't want the Chinese to devalue their currency, then he knows the Americans are going to pay the tariffs. Now, the truth of the matter is the Americans are paying the tariffs because the Chinese currency has barely declined. It's only gone down a little bit over the last several years. I mean, not enough to really make a difference. This is just normal fluctuations. Look at how much the Australian dollar has gone down or the Canadian dollar. These currencies have gone down more than the uh, the Chinese yuan. Yet, you know, no one is accusing those countries of being currency manipulators. But all of this is going to backfire. But that caused some concerns in the market because people were worried about what type of retaliation there would be, you know, now that China has been officially labeled a manipulator because no other administration was willing to do that, right? They weren't willing to antagonize China by so labeling them a manipulator. But now this administration is willing to do that because, again, they don't understand the real dynamics of this relationship. And so they don't care about pissing off China because, again, they think we have all the cards and they just don't understand uh, the nature of this game. But really, what has been going on here is what I've been saying would happen from the beginning. Remember, the the week of the December rate hike, uh, a couple of days before the hike, when I predicted that the December hike would be the last hike and that the next thing the Fed would do would cut rates, obviously that was an accurate predict- prediction. The Fed finally got around to cutting rates just like I said they would do. And it was the very next move after that hike. But then I said at that time that even though the Fed would cut rates, it would be forced to cut rates, that cutting rates would not stop the bear market. 
And I believe I was correct. I think stocks are still in a bear market. I also said that I didn't think the rate cuts would stop the recession. And I think the recession is coming despite these cuts, which is why we're going to go all the way back down to zero. In fact, as a result of yesterday's decline, when the Dow was down about 800 points, the probability of a 50 basis point rate hike in September shot up to about 60%. And now Goldman Sachs was out today. They're now looking for 75 basis points of cuts between now and the end of the year. And in fact, Goldman Sachs finally came out and says there's not going to be a trade deal this year. Or I think they might have said there's not going to be a trade deal uh, before the election, which of course I made that prediction a long time ago. Uh, Goldman Sachs is finally figuring it out. And of course, they still don't realize how many rate cuts are coming. They're looking for 75 basis points. We're going to get 200 basis points. And the reason is 200 because that's how many we got. Because once they cut 200, now we're at zero. And the fact of the matter is 200 basis points is not a lot of cutting when you got a bubble this big. And when you're going to try to reflate an even bigger bubble, you're going to have to have a lot more ammunition than that, which I know, which is why the Fed is going to be going back to quantitative easing. But even that is not going to be enough because it's going to produce an overdose. Now, a lot of people are saying, well, Peter, you know, what do you mean we're in a bear market? Because we just made new highs, right? The Dow and the S&P and the NASDAQ, they just made new highs. They did. And I did not expect this bear market rally to result in new highs, but it did. And it just kind of shows you how vicious this bear market rally is and how many people got suckered into it, right? Into thinking that it was a new bull market because the averages made new highs. But beneath the surface, the average stock didn't even come close to making a new high. You had a handful of stocks that caused the averages to make new highs. Now, you know, we're solidly below the highs, 5 6% below the highs now. But look at the Russell 2000, which never made a new high and is now back down 15% uh, from its peak, getting closer again to being back in official bear market territory. But I really think we've been in a bear market since the beginning of 2018. I mean, if you look at where the Dow Jones is today, versus where it was in January of 2018. It's only up about 4%, right? Now, the total return is more because if you throw in the dividends, but if you just look at the price of the Dow uh, at the beginning of 2018, January 1st, it's about 4% higher today. That's not a big move in a year and a half, right? For all the talk about the boom in the stock market under Trump, this market stopped going up after his first year. The big year for the stock market was 2017, right? I mean, we were up like 30% or something like that. We had a great first year because that's the relief rally that we were, we were Obama was gone and we didn't get Hillary Clinton. And, and, and the fact that people thought we were going to get Hillary Clinton, that was pretty much a done deal. The markets had already factored in Hillary. That's why the markets was so weak uh, going into the 2017 election, because the markets were anticipating uh, four more years of Obama through Hillary Clinton. And the economy was headed into a recession in 2016. And the stock market reflected that. But the huge relief rally happened in 2017 and the anticipation of the tax cuts and all that. But since the end of 2017, the Dow has barely gone up. But beneath the surface, the average stock is down. The average stock in the New York Stock Exchange is lower today than it was in January of 2018. So the market is going down, right? This is not a bull market any way you want to slice it. I don't care about these new highs that we made briefly, because otherwise you have to say, okay, we had a bull market, then we had a bear market, then we had another bull market, and now we're in another bear market. 
right? I think the bull market ended. We've been in the bear market. It's just that a lot of people haven't figured that out yet because it was being obscured by the averages. But you know, beneath the averages lies an actual stock market, a market of stocks, and the stocks are going down. And that's despite the tax cuts, despite the artificially low interest rates, despite all the hype, stocks are still falling. But obviously, once the hype fades, once reality sets in and people start to recognize the weakness in the economy and the problems uh, you know, just beyond uh, the trade war, right? Because a lot of people think, oh, well, all we have to do is end the trade war. Trump has to take the tariffs away and then we're off to the races, right? They're missing what else is going on while they're distracted by the trade war, thinking that all we need to do is call a truce and everything's going to be great. I mean, look at the data that we got yesterday. Nobody really talked about it again. Uh, ISM non-manufacturing. The numbers we got on manufacturing on Friday were very weak. ISM for July, we got last month, June was 55.1. They were looking for an improvement to 55.5. We slipped down to 53.7. That's the lowest since 2016 when the economy was headed to recession. Well, you know what? We're headed back to recession now. Right, because the temporary high of the tax cuts is behind us. And now the hangover is beginning to set in and we're right back where we were, except now I think, again, and the markets aren't even discounting this yet, but now we're looking at something far worse than Hillary Clinton. The next president, if this recession does start before the 2020 election, the next president is going to be a hell of a lot worse, I think, uh, than Hillary Clinton would have been. Now, one of the things, too, that I thought was interesting about the coverage of what was going on in the markets, you know, gold, as I said, gold was up 20 bucks, maybe as high as 30 bucks. It was a big day for gold. It was a new high. Gold stocks were killing it. I mean, there were some gold stocks yesterday up 6 7%. I had some silver stocks up 10 11%. Really, really big day in gold stocks, silver stocks, and in gold. But if you listen to the financial news, particularly CNBC, uh, I was looking at it. Uh, And most of the coverage was focused on Bitcoin. I mean, far more coverage of Bitcoin's rally than gold's rally. And Bitcoin as being some type of a safe haven and that people are buying Bitcoin or people in China are, are, are trying to get out of the yuan because they're worried the yuan's going to go down. And so they're, they're buying money into Bitcoin. And Bitcoin was really seen as, a, as an alternative safe haven, just like gold. And it was getting a lot of press. And of course, they had the usual suspects out there who were BSing uh, the audience. You had Brian Kelly on, Tommy Lee. I mean, these guys were out there touting. I mean, Brian Kelly is talking about how we have this herd of institutions that's flocking in to buy. I don't know what he's talking about. I'd like to see him mention the institutional investors that are coming in because I think it's a fantasy. I don't think it's actually happening. I mean, again, look at the search traffic too, as far as for individuals, Uh, it's still going down. I mean, I just think it's a handful of people, the same old people that have been there all along uh, that are speculating in Bitcoin and, and running up the price. But it's getting all this coverage. And despite all this coverage, it's still not attracting, I think, new buyers. But the crazy thing about talking about Bitcoin, and as I'm recording this, right, Bitcoin has been moving higher. It's around 11,700. It got up to 12,300 overnight, right? But the idea that Bitcoin is a hedge for the Chinese who are worried about their currency falling is laughable. 
It's not a hedge at all. Look, as I said, China, the Chinese yuan is down 2-3% over the last two and a half years. It, the big drop that it had last night, it was down 1%, right? That was the move, one, one and a quarter. That was it. And it's actually up a little bit today. But if you're sitting there in China and you're worried about the currency going down, you think, oh, maybe it'll go down 1%, 2%, maybe even 4 or 5%. What are you going to do to hedge that risk? You're going to buy Bitcoin? How the hell could you buy Bitcoin? You can't hedge something by owning something that's riskier than the asset you're trying to hedge. The probability or likelihood or potential for Bitcoin to drop by 10 or 20% in one day is far greater than the odds of the yuan dropping. It wouldn't make any sense. I mean, what would make sense if you are in China and you're worried about the yuan going down against the dollar, well, then buy the dollar. That's your hedge. Or maybe buy the Japanese yen which was a better hedge, or buy the euro or the Swiss franc. Those hedges worked out better than hedging the dollar. But you could buy gold, again, which I think is the best hedge of all. Gold is a low volatility asset that you know has a lot less downside risk than any particular currency. But Bitcoin, Bitcoin could easily be back at $10,000 today. Right? Even if it goes up to 13000 it has so much downside risk. In fact, if somebody in China last night decided to hedge the yuan risk by buying Bitcoin at 12,300, right? They're already down four or five percent. They've already lost four or five times as much money on their hedge than they could have possibly lost if they just didn't hedge and stayed in yuan. So this is not a hedge. Nobody is hedging with Bitcoin. What people are doing with Bitcoin is they are speculating, right? They are gambling. Now, one of the reasons that people are buying it is because they're saying i'm gonna buy it because other people may buy it as a hedge but i'm not buying it as a hedge i'm buying it to gamble on other people buying it as a hedge but the other people are not buying it as a hedge they're also buying it to gamble that other people will buy it as a hedge but nobody is actually buying it as a hedge so the reason that people are speculating on it will never happen because there's no one who's going to buy it as a hedge because it's too risky to be considered a hedge. It is a speculation in and of itself, and people are speculating on hedgers coming in, but by definition, hedgers cannot come in because there's too much volatility and there's too much risk for anybody to buy it and think it's a hedge, which is another way of knowing that this whole rally is built on smoke and mirrors. But of course, these guys at CNBC can't see that. In fact, I think it's funny too. Some of the biggest promoters of Bitcoin, the guys that really seem they're, you know, they're, they're on the Bitcoin train, they're, they, you know, they believe in it, they talk favorably about it on CNBC. These are the guys that always made fun of me for wanting gold, right? They, they never saw any problems in the U.S. economy. They were never worried about inflation. They never had any problems with central banks. So given that, if you think that the Fed is so great and the U.S. economy is great and the dollar is great, then what's the need for Bitcoin? Right. I mean, they couldn't see the need for gold. And I get that if you have so much confidence in central banks. OK, then you don't need gold. But then why Bitcoin? These guys, even though they love the U.S., and they love the Fed, they still like Bitcoin. It's almost like, you know, they've never met a bubble that they that they didn't get taken in by. Right. They can't see one since gold wasn't in a bubble. They made fun of me for investing in it. But since, you know, now you got these people coming out touting Bitcoin and they never make fun of them. You know, they, they treat it with complete respect and like, oh, yeah, this is great, you know, and like this is totally legitimate. And all they did when I would talk about uh, the problems in the U.S. economy and need to buy gold is accuse me of, of, of talking my book. 
when I'm never talking my book because no matter what I say, I can't influence the price of gold. But believe me, guys like Brian Kelly and Tommy Lee, who are in the Bitcoin business, who operate funds that invest in Bitcoin, these guys can influence the market. What they say on CNBC impacts the market, right? I have no impact over the gold market, yet they would accuse me of somehow trying to manipulate price of gold, which I had absolutely no ability to do. These guys actually can manipulate Bitcoin because it's so thin and what they say actually has an effect and they have a real vested interest in trying to hype it up, yet their objectivity is never questioned uh, by anybody at CNBC. Speaking of CNBC, though, I want to get to the comments on Larry Kudlow, who was on CNBC today. And of course, he used to be a regular. He was a personality on CNBC. He hosted several shows on there, uh, several of which uh, I uh, was a guest on over the years. And so he came out early this morning to talk about you know, how great the economy was, basically to reassure investors, right? That's what he's doing. He goes on CNBC to, you know, to, to talk about how the economy is great. But he actually has a title, right? He is the director of the National Economic Council, right? So supposedly he's there to counsel uh, the president on the economy, to give him advice, to do analysis, and to give some advice to the president. But if you listen to the things that Kudlow was saying, right, he came out and he said that the U.S. economy was in terrific shape and that it was booming, right? We have a booming economy that is in terrific shape. What is he talking about? So this is a top economic advisor, basically, and his advice or his assessment of the current U.S. economy is that it is in a boom. It is a boom and it is in terrific shape. Well, his diagnosis couldn't be more wrong. It'd be like a guy that had all sorts of terminal diseases, you know, cancer or whatever. He comes in and the doctor looks at him and says, oh, you're in perfect health. You're in terrific shape, right? He missed every single disease that the guy got, right? I mean, this, so basically, Kudlow is, is the economic equivalent of a quack. He has no idea what he's talking about unless he's just there as a, as a PR agent, as a propaganda minister, right? He's there to cheerlead for the economy, right? Which means he's really a political puppet of Trump, right? He's not there uh, creating any value for the U.S. economy because he's not giving, you know, uh, important economic advice to the president. He's there to make the president look good uh, for the voters. He's there to talk up the economy no matter how bad it is, right? That's what his job is. His job is to go on television and no matter how bad the economy is, tell everybody that it's great. Well, if that's the case, he should not be on the payroll of the taxpayer. This should be a political job. He should be on the payroll of the you know, Republican Party or Donald Trump should be using campaign funds to pay him and he shouldn't be an official of the U.S. government. He should be labeled as a spokesman for Trump individually, Trump the candidate, because that's all he's doing. He's, we don't even need the organization. In fact, the National Economic Council was started by Bill Clinton in 1993. Why don't we just get rid of it? Why did we need it? I mean, after all, we already had another. We had the Council of Economic Advisors. I mean, we still have that. That was established by Truman, Harry Truman in 1946. So in 1946, we come up with the Council of Economic Advisors. And as if that's not enough economic advice, Bill Clinton comes up with the National Economic Council. 
I mean, why do we need both of them? In fact, why do we need any of them? First of all, they're both started by Democrats, right? I mean, go figure, right? Because Democrats don't understand capitalism. They don't understand the free market. They think that we need to micromanage the economy, right? They think we have to centrally plan it. If you understand economics, we don't need to do anything. Just step back, laissez-faire, let the economy function on its own. We don't need any of these economic advisors. They should all be fired. The department should be dismantled. In fact, how did America make it to 1946? We had no economic advisors, none. How did we make it? Well, we did just great without any advisors. I mean, we had a booming economy. We've never had an economy like the Gilded Age. We had the Industrial Revolution. We did all this stuff. We actually went through World War II without any economic advisors. We managed. In fact, without any economic advisors, the United States became the world's wealthiest creditor nation. We became the richest nation in the history of the world, and we had nobody giving us economic advice. Now... Right, we have all these economic advisors. We got a $23 trillion national debt. We got massive unfunded liabilities. We're the world's biggest debtor nation. We owe more money than all the other debtor nations of the world combined. And this is the results of having economic advisors. You know, I'm wicked. What kind of lousy advice is that? We went from the biggest creditor with no advisors to the biggest debtor with advisors. They've done a terrible job. They are giving horrible advice, just like the advice that Larry Kudlow is giving when he says the economy is spectacular and that it's booming. I mean, hello. I mean, we are we're running worst trade deficits ever, the worst budget deficits ever. We're on the verge of an economic implosion. And this guy is talking about how great everything is. And, you know, as little as he knows about the U.S. economy, he probably knows even less about the Chinese economy. He went out and said the Chinese economy is is crumbling. It's not crumbling. I mean, what is he talking about? In fact, Kudlow said that the Chinese economy isn't anywhere near the powerhouse it was 20 years ago. 20 years ago, China was a shadow of itself 20 years ago. I mean, look at the per capita income. I mean, it's gone up, I think, somewhere between five and tenfold, right? If you take a look at what the average uh, income in China was 20 years ago, 1999, per capita income, it's at least five times, if not even closer to 10 times higher than it was back then. I mean, China is a much more powerful nation today than it was 20 years ago. It's America that has crumbled. America is is a shadow of its former self. We're not what we used to be. I mean, how much is per capita income up in the United States over the last 20 years? Barely up at all. And in fact, if we adjusted it for real inflation, it's down. I'd say the American standard of living has gone down over the last 20 years, not up like it has in China. I mean, so many people are in the middle class in China today that weren't in the middle class 20 years ago. How can Larry Kudlow say that China is in worse shape economically than it was 20 years ago, that it's less of an economic power today than it was 20 years ago? Completely absurd. Yet this guy is a top advisor to the president. No wonder we're in so much trouble because we've got fools uh, giving us advice. Now, of course, I don't think Larry Kudlow's a fool. So I just think he's not telling the truth. Right? He just thinks he has to lie about how great everything is because that's what advances uh, the political interest of his boss. And he has to talk about how terrible everything is in China. Right? Everybody wants to think, oh, we're crushing China. America is booming and China is you know, falling apart. Right? And of course, a lot of this negative talk about China is part of the reason that the Chinese currency is going down, because there's a bunch of fools out there that think Larry Kudlow knows what he's talking about. 
or they think he's telling the truth. So there is a lot of negativity. China is a buy. The Chinese currency is a buy. The Chinese stock market is a buy, right? It's the U.S. dollar that's a sell. It's the U.S. Uh, stock market that's a sell. You want to do the opposite of what Larry Kudlow is, uh, is, is recommending. Now, also, all of the discussion on China on the financial networks is so ridiculous. You know, talking about how we don't need the Chinese economy, how, you know, they've been, you know, taking advantage of us. I mean, think about, again, all of the stuff that Americans were able to buy cheap because it was made in China. How much uh, different would people's lives have been? I remember, too, like when I, we had young children. I still have young children, but they're not in strollers anymore. They're not in playpens. They don't have car chairs. But all that stuff was made in China. And I remember I used to think, well, what, what would we do? What would parents do? Uh, how would they you know, get all this stuff for their kids if it wasn't for the Chinese? Now, maybe there'd be somebody else that would make it, but it would be a lot more expensive. And if it was more expensive, families probably wouldn't be able to buy as much. Or if they did, then what would they have to give up? I mean, think of all the spending that Americans were able to do because they bought some things uh, from China that cost a lot less than they would have cost had they had to buy from someplace else or had we had to make it ourselves. I mean, a lot of economic activity uh, was enabled by China. But again, look at all the money they've loaned us. I mean, if they hold over a trillion in treasuries and then they have a lot of other uh, U.S. dollar denominated debt, mortgage-backed securities, other investments, where would we be if China wasn't there loaning us all that money? Now, I know people like to dismiss that. In fact, Jim Cramer uh, was out today uh, on CNBC saying that, hey, the Chinese can dump all their treasuries right now. They can sell all their treasuries today and it wouldn't matter. Really? I mean, are people really that naive that they could get rid of over a trillion dollars of treasuries and it wouldn't matter? I mean, who does Kramer think is going to buy a trillion dollars worth of treasuries? I mean, it's not like there's that many people that have that much money to loan the U.S. government. Who's going to buy it? And of course, if China was dumping, I mean, wouldn't other people want to dump too? And they did, in fact, they'd want to dump first. They'd want to front run that trade. Look, this is so ridiculous to think that we could survive without this. In fact, one of the main reasons that the U.S. bubble economy was able to live as long as it did is because of China. China was enabling it. China was supplying us with the stuff that we couldn't produce. And so therefore, we weren't suffering to the degree that we should have based on our regulations and taxes because we still got to get stuff. We just got it from China. Now, of course, we had to borrow the money to do that, but no one seemed to care. We were able to keep borrowing money. In fact, the Chinese recycled all the money that we spent buying the products by loaning it right back to us. So all the big deficits that we had over the years were enabled in part by the Chinese because the Chinese being there as willing lenders kept interest rates lower than they otherwise would have been. And if Jim Cramer actually thinks that we don't need them, that the Chinese don't have to lend us any money anymore, well, where are we going to get it? Who's going to do the lending? Nobody. In fact, the only buyer out there that would be able to take the Chinese out of their treasury position would be the Fed. And of course, in order for the Fed to do that, they'd have to launch an entirely new round of quantitative easing uh, to buy. And in fact, they'd have to do a whole year's worth of QE in one day, right, to allow China to get out. But if the Federal Reserve had to print up enough money to take the Chinese out of their treasury position, 
what's going to happen to the supply of dollars? The dollar supply is going to skyrocket. What's going to happen to the prices? Prices are going to go up. I mean, it's inflation. If we had to monetize all the debt that the Chinese are holding, you see, when the Chinese buy our debt, it's a central bank buying, but it's not being monetized because new dollars aren't being created. The Chinese are simply recirculating the dollars that they earned uh, by exporting products. But if the Federal Reserve tries to buy those bonds, it has to create the dollars out of thin air to do it. So it's massive inflation. That's really what Kramer is advocating. Hey, no problem. We don't need the Chinese. We could just create inflation. Well, then instead of exporting our inflation to China, which is what we've been doing all these years, that inflation would stay here. And then we wouldn't be able to operate under the delusion that there's no inflation. I mean, that's what all these clowns keep saying when they go on CNBC again and talk about how great the economy is. Like Larry Kudlow, one of the things he says about why the economy is so great is there's no inflation. I mean, how many times is he going to say there's no inflation, right? He says it almost as much as Trump says it's the greatest economy ever. In fact, maybe one of the reasons that... Cudlow keeps saying there's no inflation is because he knows there is inflation and he wants to make sure that people don't recognize it by continuously telling them that it's not there. Hey, don't bother looking for inflation because it's not there. When inflation is here, it's getting worse. In fact, Cudlow knows that the entire policy of quantitative easing was inflation. It was simply a euphemism for inflation and the effects of inflation showed up in stocks, showed up in real estate. And they're ultimately going to show up in consumer prices. I think Cudlow has to know that. He just is afraid to admit that. So he wants to continue to bang that drum, right? The no inflation parade. And again, they have to believe there's no inflation in order to get the Fed to cut rates, right? Because in order to have lower rates, you have to believe the lie that there's no inflation, even as lowering rates is the engine for creating even more inflation because the way the Fed does that right, is to create more money. It lowers interest rates through the creation of inflation. They're just hoping that the inflation that's created feeds back into the stock market rather than into the supermarket. That's about all I've got to say today. I don't have a lot of time. I am leaving. Uh, my flight leaves uh, later this evening for Italy. But I did, you know, I, I recorded a podcast, Quoth the Raven uh, podcast, and, it, and, and it's, up, uh, it's up on the internet. You can listen to that. I did it last last night or yesterday afternoon. So that's got a little bit more commentary on what was going on yesterday. I think a lot of the stuff I said on that on that podcast I also covered today, but if you want to listen to a little bit more, you could check that out. Chris Irons is the name of the guy who does the podcast. He's been doing a good job. He's been getting a lot of interesting guests since he started it not too long ago. I've been on it a few times, so uh, give that a listen. Uh, and I'm going to try to record a few of these podcasts while I'm on my trip. I'm not sure what I'm going to do the next one. Obviously, there could be a lot of volatility, so I'm going to be keeping my eyes uh, on the market and trying to do my best to stay uh, stay in communication. But I will be a little bit uh, a little bit out of it. Uh, until I get back to uh, Puerto Rico on the 17th of August.